Our first message is from Mr. Ken Barton. His sermon is entitled, Freedom is Never More Than One Generation Away from Extinction. And this is, this is not going to cover the political, well, the, the religious so much, it, it, but it works on all of them. The Bill of Rights, political, the right to assemble, we enjoy that. We could lose that. <clears throat> I was going to have a little story that you would laugh at, but I'm, I'm going to run kind of short on time. So I need to, to go right with it. I'm going to rely heavily on this book. The Second Amendment, Preserving the Inalienable Right of Individual Self-Protection by David Barton with Wall Builders. No relation. He's probably actually, he, I have to put that in there or he would sue me. Uh, he, he's, I think, pretty sharp. <clears throat> so, freedom is never more than one generation away from re extinction. We didn't pass it. To our children in the bloodstream, it must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Ronald Reagan. I like Ronald Reagan. There were some things he did that I didn't care for, but by and large, I like, he would stand up. He would stand up. For God, he would stand up for people. <clears throat> Today, I would like to discuss the Bill of Rights with some focus on, on the one which, to me, guarantees the others. I will borrow, as I said, from this book. I intend to discuss the mindset of the founders of our nation <clears throat> and what their thoughts were as to our rights. There are people, both private citizens and members of government, who would deny citizens their civil rights. That is why our founders put our Bill of Rights in place, to ensure that that wouldn't happen. <clears throat> what did they think was meant by our rights? And how do we find out? First off, we need to understand what their words meant to them and in that context. Noah Webster, one of the founders, wrote concerning the interpretation of the scriptures of the Bible. In the lapse of two or three centuries, changes have taken place which obscure the sense of the original languages. The effects of these changes is that some words are now used in a sense different from that which they had, and thus present a wrong signification or false ideas. Whenever words are understood in a sense different from that which they had when they were introduced, mistakes may be very injurious. That's why President Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Supreme Court Justice Je uh, William Johnson, on every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates, and instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text, or invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. <clears throat> Another Constitution signer, signer, James Madison, also agreed, writing, what a metamorphosis would be produced in the code of law 
if all its ancient phraseology were taken in its modern sense, it would be terrible. We must understand what was written by understanding the words as they used them. <clears throat> Before I talk about rights being inalienable, I need to establish what that meant. One man, John Dickinson, wrote in 1768, an inalienable right is a right, quote, which God gave to you and which no inferior power has a right to take away, end quote. Our founders believed it was the duty of government to protect inalienable or God-granted rights from encroachment or usurpation. James Wilson's writings verify that. He was one of only six founders who signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He spoke 168 times at the floor of the convention, was a law professor, was nominated to the Supreme Court as an original justice, and while he was doing that, he was teaching a law school. He taught his students <coughs> that the documents, our documents, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, were merely to, merely to acquire a new security for the possession or the recovery of those rights to which we were previously entitled by the immediate gift or by the unerring law of our all-wise and all-beneficent creator. And he asserted every government which has not this in view as its principal object is not a legitimate government. I will cite one more view and then I'll move on on that. Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter June 7, 1816, stating that government is to declare and enforce only our natural rights and duties and to take none of them from us. My understanding from reading these is that they understood that all people intrinsically have certain rights. <clears throat> Automatically. Granted to us by God and immediately endowed with them when we ex start to exist. <clears throat> I will now focus on the Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. 27 words that have fairly recently in the historical time frame been much discussed and argued over. Many feel this means the individual right of each and every citizen of the United States. Many others feel this applies only to police officers, members of the military, or those who are deemed by someone to be professional enough. I'm with the first group. The Second Amendment, as well as the other amendments, didn't grant or bestow any new rights on citizens. They didn't give us anything. Rather, they simply recognized, and in the words of James Wilson, provided a new security to those already existing natural God-given rights of citizens for their own self-defense. Jesus references our right to be secure in our homes in both Matthew and Luke. Matthew 24, 43. But know this that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Luke 12, 39. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not, his, not have suffered his house to be broken through. 
If he'd have known what time it was going to happen, he'd have been there. Would he have been there to watch? No, he would have been there to stop it. In Nehemiah 4, we're told how Nehemiah armed workers in order to protect themselves and their families while they were rebuilding the walls. And this is, uh, I'll start with verse 11. I didn't get to you, Brian, my apologies. <clears throat> then I'll jump to 13. I'm going to kind of skip. Anyway. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Sounds like they had bad intent. And in 13, Therefore I set, or set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And skipping to 15, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone under his work. It's not as fun when they're waiting on you. <clears throat> 16. It came, see, it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, the other half held both the spears, the shields, the bows, and the habergens, which is chest plate. Good to have your bulletproof vest on. <clears throat> they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone had one hand wrought in the work and one hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. They were packing. I've been studying also the book uh, the works of Josephus. In book 12, chapter 6, paragraph 2, he tells of a time when the people were attacked and approximately a thousand of them, along with their wives and children, were killed on a Sabbath day by their enemies building fires in the cave entrances. They were living in Tyre. And they, all that, their houses were actually dug back into, into caves. Beautiful, magnificent, real small holes could keep more than one person coming in at a time. But because it was a Sabbath, they, wouldn't, they didn't do anything. You know how they were killed? The enemy built fires right in the doorway and smothered them, killed them with the smoke from the fire. They wouldn't even plug up the hole because of the Sabbath day to keep that from happening. So a thousand of them at least, as I understand it, a thousand men plus their families died. The ones that survived and got away, they went to Mattathias. He taught them to fight even on the Sabbath day. Because he said, if they would not fight on the Sabbath day, they would become their own enemies. Because their adversaries will surely kill them on the Sabbath day. They can figure that out. I had a note, used to have a note on, on my locker door at the fire station. That was my... I, my gun preaching thing, or anything else that I might want people to pay attention to. But the statement was, an armed man can kill an unarmed man with monotonous regularity. If you're not going to fight, you don't have much of a chance. And if they can figure out the day that you're not going to fight, okay. <clears throat> Josephus notes that since that day in, that Mattathias gave that speech to the day that he wrote this chapter, and I'm pretty sure it's today, 
goes all the way up to today. They can fight on the Sabbath days. <clears throat> Alexander Hamilton affirmed this in Farmer Refuted, or a more impartial and comprehensive view of the dispute between Great Britain and the colonies. <clears throat> the supreme being gave existence to man, together with the means of preserving and beautifying that existence. He invested man with an inviolable right to personal liberty and personal safety. David Barton stated, since the right to self-defense was an inalienable personal right, the Second Amendment simply assured each citizen that he would have the tools necessary to defend his life, family, or property from aggression, whether from an individual or from a government. That the Second Amendment simply secured in writing a right which God had already conferred on his creation was confirmed in the legal commentaries that undergirded American law. He also cites Blackstone's commentaries on the laws. It was, in his opinion, uh, one that, that had uh, Thomas Jefferson observed that people had so much respect for that book, Blackstone's Commentaries, that uh, lawyers, America's lawyers, use Blackstone's with the same dedication and reverence that the Muslims use the Koran. They thought a lot of that book. <clears throat> and here's what Blackstone's declared concerning the right of citizens to use and own arms. The right of citizens is that of having arms for their defense. And this is the natural right of resistance and self-preservation when sanctions of society and laws are found insufficient to restrain the violence of oppression. And he said, we're, as citizens, we're entitled first to the regular administration and free course of justice in the courts of law. Okay, that doesn't work. Next, to the right of petitioning the government for redress of grievances. We can get that law changed if we don't think it's right. And lastly, to the right of having and using arms for self-preservation and defense. Not only did the 2A secure what Blackstone called the right of having and using arms, Mr. Barton said, for the natural right of resistance and self-preservation, but our founding, founding fathers f further believed it. My mouth's getting messed up. I washed my teeth this morning. Can't do a thing with them. <clears throat> But our founders further believed it was a duty for every citizen to be willing to exercise that right when necessary. For instance, James Wilson said that homicide is enjoined, which means required, when it is necessary for the defense of one's person or house. It is, it is the greater law, great law of, of self-preservation which as we have seen, cannot be repealed or superseded or suspended by any human institution. This law, he continued, is expressly recognized in the Constitution of Pennsylvania. The right of the citizens to bear arms in the defense of themselves shall not be questioned. Every man's house is deemed by the law to be his castle. And the law, while, invests him, while it invests him with the power, this is, I found, Interesting. Places on him the duty of the commanding officer of his house. This I find to be very interesting also. Every man's house, he writes, is his castle. And if anyone be robbed in it, it shall be esteemed his own default and negligence. 
I thought that was kind of interesting. You obviously weren't a good commanding officer. You let him in there. <clears throat> There's a guy named Zephaniah Smith. He was the author of America's first legal text in 1792. And he wrote a thing called The System of Laws of the State of Connecticut. I'll get back to that later. Self-preservation or self-defense is one of the first laws of nature. No man shall ever, man ever resign upon entering society. So, how does the word militia come into play? Still green light. Okay. In 1982, so we're catching up to the modern days here, a Senate ju Judiciary Subcommittee report, the right to keep and bear arms, noted that the proposal for the wording of the Second Amendment finally passed the House in its present form. And I won't read it again, but it's those 27 words. And the conclusion is that uh, they indicated, they passed it the following day. They got it all ironed out one day. They passed it the very next day. This, and the Senate uh, indicated its intent that the right be an individual one <clears throat> for private purposes by rejecting an amendment which would have limited the keeping and bearing of arms to bearing for the common defense. Somebody wanted to put that in there. That would have meant just, just the military or the police. Okay. The conclusion is thus inescapable that the history, concept, and wording of the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, as well as its interpretation by every major commentator and court in the first half century after its ratification, indicates that what is protected is an individual right of a citizen, private citizen, to own and carry firearms in a peaceful manner. People seem to forget that. They think, you, you know, somebody carries a gun that they they have the right to go out and just shoot up the walls or the ceiling or, you know, no. It's in a peaceful manner unless you need it. It's like when you, Carpenter, he's working on a house, he's got a hammer in his holster. He doesn't use it unless he's needing to drive a nail. Just thought I'd point that out. <clears throat> so how did the Founding Fathers view this? John Adams, president and signer of the Declaration of Independence, and one of the two signers of the Bill of Rights stated, resistance to sudden violence for the preservation not only of my person, my limbs, my life, but my property is an indisputable right of nature, which I never surrendered to the public by the compact of society, and which perhaps I could not surrender if I would. The maxims of the law and the precepts of Christianity are precisely coincident in relation to this subject. Samuel Adams, when he wasn't making a good beer, said, Among the natural rights of the colonists are these. First, a right to life. Secondly, to liberty. liberty. Third, to property. Together with the right to support and defend them in the best manner they can. He also stated that the constitu said constitution should never be construed to prevent the people of the United States, who are peaceable citizens, from keeping their own arms. Thomas Jefferson was real succinct. No citizen shall be debarred the use of arms within his own lands. And the last one I'll cite here is Thomas Paine. He was a patriot and an author. And he said, I am thus far a Quaker, which was a pacifist, considered a pacifist. 
I would gladly agree with all the world to lay aside the use of arms and settle matters by negotiation. But unless the whole will, the matter ends. And I take up my musket and thank heaven he has put it in my power. So who makes up a militia? The first federal law on this subject, the Militia Act of 1792, defined militia of the United States not as the Continental Army or any other organized military body, but rather as including almost every adult male in the United States, requiring each adult in the United States by law to possess a firearm and a minimum supply of ammunition and military equipment. And this law continued in force into the 20th century. The current law, as a matter of fact, still states the militia of the United States consists of all able-bodied males at least 17 and under 45 years of age. That's the United States Code, Title 10, Subset 311A. Y'all will look that up. The militia shall consist of all able-bodied male persons is included. Those words are included in 30 state constitutions. I want to refer back to that Zephaniah Smith guy <clears throat> wrote the, a system of laws in the state of Connecticut. Self-defense or self-preservation is one of the first laws of nature which no man ever resigned upon entering into society. Connecticut has forgotten that. In December of 2013, Connecticut passed legislation requiring citizens to register semi-automatic weapons and high-capacity magazines. Many have refused to do so, feeling that it is against the Constitution. This has the possible effect of making many of their citizens felons because they're not registering them, because they're not giving them away or getting rid of them. Could you uh, show that letter, Brian? That's the letter they got if they didn't. If they didn't get it to them on time, they came in late, I'm guessing if they didn't even do it, you know. So it says, you can render it permanently inoperable, sell it to a licensed gun dealer, get it out of the state, or destroy it. Give it to us and we'll destroy it. And that does with both, they, they say assault weapons, which I could go in a long thing on that. That was a word made up by somebody to sound scary. It's a semi-automatic rifle. <clears throat> and high-capacity magazines. They could do that. So, <clears throat> anti-gunners want to disarm you. They will try any means possible to disarm you. And they will lie to your face and tell you that they don't want to take your guns. I'm going to have you... Uh, play her, her clip in just a minute. Mac Ma Ma Matt McBraday, I hope I'm saying his name right, published an article on January 26th of 2013 that I read on Policy Mick on the internet concerning people's fears that Dianne Feinstein's assault weapons ban could be the start of a total gun ban. She was asked directly by PBS NewsHour's Gwen Ifill about gun owners' fears of banning all guns. I feel, what do you say to people who support the right to own arms that this is the camel's nose under the tent? 
that the next thing you'll be after concealed carry weapons, you'll be after other kinds of guns, right? Feinstein. Well, that's just not true. It wasn't true with the prior bill that was the law for 10 years, and I just think candidly that dog doesn't hunt. I feel, why shouldn't it be true? Why wouldn't you go after those other laws? Because it's not what I've done in the past, and it's not what I'm doing right now. Mr. McBride says, taking at face value, Feinstein isn't going after all guns. However, he says, at the end of the day, she's a politician, which is to say magnanimously that a position taken today may just be convenient, or unmagnanimously that she's a liar, or that politicians are liars. Which is more likely in this case? Well, let's look at a previous comment on record. Can, can you play that clip of Diane Feinstein? Yet the assault weapons bill passed in the face of ferocious opposition from the National Rifle Association. She says she got the best she could. If I could have gotten 51 votes in the Senate of the United States for an outright ban, picking up every one of them, Mr. and Mrs. America, turn them all in, I would have done it. I could not do that. The votes weren't here. Now, if that doesn't mean they want to take away all your guns, I don't understand English. <clears throat> Got to pay attention to details. Got to find out what they're really saying. I want you to try a little experiment with me, everybody, okay? Matt doesn't necessarily have to. He's busy. <clears throat> when I say go, okay, Everybody here that can to point directly at me. Okay. Go. All right. Worked great, didn't it? Nobody. I saw all of you guys doing that, and nobody went. Y'all pointed at me. Okay. Did you notice nobody had trouble figuring out where I was? Now consider what would happen if I were an evil person intent on killing as many people, innocent people, as I could, and instead of just having your finger to stop me, you had a weapon. Okay? That's why I like the idea. <laughs> That's why I like the idea of people being able to protect themselves wherever they may be. When the bad, when the bad person starts something, other people, if they have weapons are going to shoot at him. So you may have a whole bunch of bullets headed in his direction where he can only shoot one at a time towards wherever he's pointing. The odds are real good he ain't going to make it very long. As a matter of fact, every uh, shooting that's been stopped, anybody remember the Clackamas, Oregon shooting a couple of years ago as a Christmas in a mall? and the guy shot three people. I thought, okay, this is using an AR-15 type of weapon, and I thought, this guy's got to be the worst shot in the world. Christmas at a mall, and he shot three people. You know why? There was another guy there that had his concealed carry, and when he heard the shooting, he told his wife and her, or his girlfriend and her daughter to get down, and then he pulled his weapon and was aiming 
at that guy, but he saw a person running behind that guy, so he didn't shoot because he didn't want to possibly miss the bad guy and hit the innocent person. Bad guy saw him, left, went into another store and killed himself. Almost all these shootings in gun-free zones, whenever the authorities or somebody that's armed shows up, the coward kills himself. The recent school shooting, there was a, a safety officer there, had his weapon, had it stopped in 80 seconds. The police that were being called were quite a bit longer than that, several minutes, but it was over. It was already done. So, I'm not telling you, that I, I want to be very clear. Well, one thing I want you to know, there are approximately one and a half to two and a half million defensive uses of firearms every year. A lot of it's not covered because all they do is show the guy that they've got a gun. Some of them just holler, get the gun, and the guy leaves. Okay? You're not going to call the police. You're not going to report it. Some of them that very rarely do the, does the defender have to fire the weapon. When they do fire the weapon, not very often do they hit the guy. We had a lady uh, that lived not too far from our house, around 129th and, and 71st, that shot at a guy that was trying to come in her front door and missed him. You know, she said, I'm going to go back and <laughs> do some more target practice. But she missed. Okay? That made the local news. It won't make it any farther than that. Okay? And one, I heard a, a news person say, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. So, you know, it's, it's not important to them. So you're not going to have but 1.5 to 2.5 million successful defense uses. Let me be very clear. I am not telling you every one of you have to go out and buy a gun or guns and carry everywhere you go. I am saying that if you feel that you need to do so or that you should do so, it is your right to do so. Along with that right, however, comes the responsibility to learn how to use them and to be responsible in that use. Also, what I want to ask you, if you agree with the Founding Fathers that the Second Amendment is written to ensure that right, then let your rep state representatives, United States representatives, anybody you can catch their ear, know it. Don't take away my rights. You take away that right, What's going to stop you from taking away my right to go to church? That finger. The bad guy shows up, and if all you've got is the finger, you quit that. It may not work so well. Okay? What difference at that point could it make?